0: Good morning, Connecticut, and to our friends across the sound, it's Director of Public Affairs, John Voquette. Thanks for tuning in to Connoisseur Media's award-winning public affairs program for the people, bringing you the latest information to help address concerns in our communities tied to youth, the economy, public health and safety, aging education and the environment we're continuing our month-long domestic violence awareness month series with the ceo of the connecticut coalition against domestic violence the state's leading voice for victims of domestic violence and those organizations that serve them we're going to discuss the vital role law enforcement officers play in domestic violence response and help promote the coalition's new ct safe connect resource Then on October 20th, four exceptional women are going to be honored at the 29th annual Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame Ceremony and Celebration. This year's program, Women in Sports, is going to honor Susie Whaley, Jennifer Rosati, Lakba Sherpa, and Coralie Bentley Radcliffe posthumously for not only their personal success in their sports, but recognizing the impact that they've had on the industry they are in, and as role models for women of all ages. So we're going to bring in the Hall of Fame's Executive Director to talk about the event and how you can get in on celebrating these and all women across Connecticut. And we're going to wrap up introducing you to New Haven Promise, a nonprofit that builds a culture in the public schools in which students aspire to attend and graduate from college. They also provide financial incentives and support for those students, and they facilitate their return to live, work, and serve in in the greater New Haven area. We'll be right back with these segments and more on the award-winning for the people with me, John Voquette, right after this reminder. Housatonic Community College is inviting everyone to save the date and attend a celebration of a decade of advancing student careers in manufacturing. On November 9th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the college, they're going to host a 10-year anniversary celebration of their state-of-the-art advanced manufacturing technology program with funds raised at the event supporting the Housatonic Community College Foundation's new equity and manufacturing initiative dedicated to ensuring low income families and students of color that they have access and support in this valuable training program. If you'd like to get tickets to the event or become a sponsor, just go to slash amtc10. Well, here we are, Sunday number three in October, and this is the third opportunity for us to uh, highlight. The fact that october is domestic violence awareness month and to uh, be in touch with one of the many agencies across the state who are working hard to educate and to fight this uh, terrible epidemic of domestic violence uh, that we are seeing here in our society and unfortunately have seen more of We are also reeling this morning over the tragic death of two Bristol police officers and the injury of another in a situation that uh, still is unfolding as we uh, interview uh, CEO Megan Scanlon from uh, from the Connecticut Coalition against domestic violence, Uh, but uh, uh, Megan, certainly uh, I'm sure as uh, we here at Connoisseur Media's hearts are going out uh, and our thoughts to all of the members of the Bristol uh, Police Department community and the community at large, uh, yours are as well. And it also highlights something that we briefly uh, kind of affirmed before we put the microphone on, and, and that is that uh, domestic violence situations are not only extremely perilous for the victims involved, but also for these uh, frontline responders.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, And certainly want to take the moment to just express my sincere condolences to the officers, uh, their families, the entire Bristol Police Department, um, you know, coming from a law enforcement family. Uh, I can't, you know, I can and cannot imagine at the same time what um, they must be going through. And to your point, um, it really does highlight that, you know, domestic violence as a as a whole issue is not really just about the victim. Um, It certainly impacts uh, so many more people. And as you kind of look and at this situation, you know, you see the officers, their families, all of the officers that um, you know standing outside the hospital. I mean the trauma that everyone is going through um, it, it permeates that community. It's not just you know a couple individuals it's it's going to last for um, you know a really long time forever for some um, and then also thinking about what that generational impact is right to the children um, of these of you know the fallen um, officers that you know, what that's going to look like for their lives in terms of shaping, shaping their lives. So um, I can't stress enough that this is so much more than a law enforcement and criminal justice issue. This needs to be a community issue. And it certainly from our perspective is a public health issue um, that we all really need to work to address.
0: It also provides uh, another important opportunity for us to remind anyone listening how critical and vital a role uh, that law enforcement responders play in uh, facilitating the best possible outcomes in domestic violence situations and that is uh, uh, not only supporting the victims in those moments uh, of the first encounter but also uh, providing them with support and uh, access to resources that uh, some of which up until just a few years ago may not have been available law enforcement uh, as a uh, as a movement has come so far in the past couple of decades in terms of both uh, their training and expertise and the important component that they play in this sort of chain of agencies and individuals who uh, wrap and uh, comfort and uh, assist victims of domestic violence?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think if you talk to, you know, talk to at domestic violence advocates, you know, 10 plus years ago, they would say, you know, our relationships with law enforcement were, you know, they were okay. Um, but now, I mean, we have done, you know, in terms of the coalition, in terms of the, the police departments across the state, um, our director of law enforcement services. I mean, over the past 10 plus years, we've developed such strong relationships and training and standards with uh, law enforcement across the state that we're really proud of. And, you know, kudos to all of the departments, because a lot of that is on top of what they're mandated to do in terms of training. Um, so they really have become really critical um, to how we deliver services to, um, to families impacted by um, domestic violence. Um, so, you know, we're proud of that in terms of our, our lethality assessment program, you know, every department across the state, you know Screens uses this list of questions to screen when they co- go to a call to screen for the volatility for if that person is high risk and they immediately get connected to one of our 18 member organizations for services. Um, And I can't say enough about that program. Um, It's been really effective in terms of uh, reducing the amount of of deaths we've had across the state. And a lot of that falls on the law enforcement um, responding to those calls. So uh, we're really grateful and really lucky in the state of Connecticut to be able to say we have um, those strong partnerships with with law enforcement.
0: Yeah. You also mentioned earlier how important. It is for communities at large and even our statewide community to uh, recognize and to work together to uh, identify uh, potential situations where domestic violence may be or is happening. And a historic thing is going to be happening uh, possibly as early as uh, midweek this coming week in uh, that the state of Connecticut is actually recognizing this issue uh, with this uh, important and first of its kind flag raising at the Capitol.
1: Yeah, we're you know we're obviously very excited and honored, and certainly thank you know Governor Lamont and Lieutenant Governor Bicewitz for their leadership in um, you know hosting a Connecticut flag raising um, during Domestic Violence Awareness Month certainly elevates the issue um, to a statewide lens um, and and obviously shows, you know, from their leadership that this is an issue that we need to um, be okay to start talking about, that this isn't, you know, just an issue that happens within individual households, um, that it does impact uh, the entire state. It impacts our communities, impacts our children, um, and obviously family members impacted by it. So we're very excited and, like I said, honored to be able to host that Coming up next week um, at the State Capitol in Hartford, and certainly it's open to you know any anyone that wants to attend. Um, the purpose is to raise awareness, to educate, and obviously remember and honor um, individuals that have um, been impacted by domestic violence, but also have lost their lives to um, domestic violence. So um, certainly look at, you know, keep in touch and, and check out our website, ctcadv.org, to I'll get the details about the time and location for that coming up next week.
0: Also, your website is an important. for people to go uh, if they really want to uh, lock arms with others in their own communities or neighboring communities uh, with initiatives that are going on more hyper-locally. There are vigils and walks and other Domestic Violence Awareness Month activities happening across the state in our listening area, and your uh, website really can serve as a clearinghouse for uh, notices of all of the ones remaining in October. So folks can once again go to ctcadv.org to reference those events.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, And and we're obviously really proud to be able to, you know, say we have, you know, 18 member organizations across the state. So, you know, regardless of the town that you may live in, you should be able to, to find one that's close to your geographic region. And, you know, the one thing I also would stress is if, if you can't go to the, you know, can't make it um, in terms of, you know, the October events, um, you know, domestic violence is not just happening in October, right. Um, there's always opportunities and you can find them through our website or even going to, to the list of our, our member organizations on our website. There's always activities happening, always uh, a need, um, so whether you're looking to you know volunteer regularly or attend an event um, or even just donate some goods, um, you know there's there's a role for everyone to play, uh, you know twenty four seven three hundred and sixty five days a year.
0: Uh, and since uh, awareness is uh, one of the most important components of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, the Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence is also uh, playing an important role beyond assisting or responding to the victims because really, uh, so many times these days, it is a, uh, a loved one, a relative, a neighbor, even a coworker or a, a casual acquaintance who may recognize signs of domestic violence, but not know what to do and may not, even be sure what they're seeing is what they're thinking they're seeing. So that's why your resource hotline is so important.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so our resource hotline, which is CT Safe Connect, um, is is open 24-7, 365 days a year. We have advocates that are ready and willing to answer any questions you may have. Um, You may be in immediate crisis yourself. You may have a friend or family member, coworker, that you're looking um, to get resources for. You yourself may not be ready to leave a situation, but you want to kind of get the information to know what the next steps are. Um, So I can't stress enough, um, you know, please reach out. You can call, text, email, or chat. So the website is ctsafeconnect.com. The phone number is 888-774-2900, um, and there's an advocate that will walk you through and answer any questions and connect you to any other resources that you may need in order to navigate the specific you know, domestic violence situation that you or a loved one or acquaintance or um, coworker may, um, may be in. But it's really important to empower yourself with that education, so if and when you know a situation comes up you know, you, you feel confident in your ability to either handle it yourself or assist in handling
0: it. So you can call, text, chat, or email 24 seven to ctsafeconnect.org or call 888-774-2900 for this important service. Also, if you are in a domestic violence situation, calling 911 or texting 911 in your community uh, will bring you uh, able and educated support uh, but you can also reach help through infoline at 211 here in Connecticut um, is that right uh, Megan yeah and
1: 211 will actually connect you right to um, to our our safe connect line so you know if that's if that's easier Obviously, you know, we, we work with all of the, the different um, providers um, of services. So, um, you know, certainly encourage encourage you to contact us any, any way possible.
0: Well, before we say farewell uh, to you for today, Megan, uh, we want to touch on one other thing that we're actually going to be expanding on in an entire segment uh, in the next couple of uh, weekends. And that is the fact that Soaks. It, it 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 it's incredibly sad to think that someone may not reach out to try to get help as a victim of domestic violence because they are afraid they it might interrupt their work or their their income. And uh, that's why one of the provisions of Connecticut's recently enacted Family Leave Act is so important. Uh, so uh, we'll leave just touching upon the subject and reminding people of that resource.
1: Yeah, so we're really excited. Obviously, Connecticut passed one of the more progressive paid family leave um, acts uh, throughout the country um, and the paid leave authority. Um, is already accepting applications under the family violence provision, which gives up to 12 days of, of leave, a uh, paid leave, which is really important. Financial, um, financials are often a barrier for individuals that are trying to leave the situation. Um, so unless they've accrued you know, PTO, um, they certainly are not able to get those um, days that they might have to take off covered. Otherwise, and often victims have court dates or counseling, or needing you know shelter, or having to actually move from one location to another. So, um, so these these are critical because they are able to cover for um, those those situations that come up um, when you you know when individuals are trying to um, get themselves out of a situation and settled into a safer um, a safer situation for them and their families. So. We're really excited um, about that provision. We've certainly been working very closely with the paid leave authority. Um, And if anybody obviously has questions about that, they can reach out to us or directly to Connecticut Paid Leave. as
0: well. Thank you, Megan. Uh, Closing out this segment of our series here during uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, CEO Megan Scanlon of the Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the state's leading voice for victims of domestic violence and the organizations that serve them in your hometown or in your region. If you need to reach CT Safe Connect you can do it toll free at 888-774-2900 or go to ctsafeconnect.org for resources call text chat email 24/7 get the help you need or get the information that you need to put a stop to domestic violence in your situation um Megan once again thank you so much for this time this morning Well, it has been uh, years, too many years, since we circled around to talk with a representative of the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame, but there's a big, big and great event coming up on October 20th, and we want to let all of you in on it. And for those who who, uh, who may have somehow forgot or never even knew, uh, the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame honors the achievements of women by celebrating their legacies and telling their powerful stories, inspiring women and girls to realize their own limitless potential, and and regular listeners to the program know that this has also been an important goal of ours here on the award-winning for the people. So appropriately, uh, here as we uh, kind of go into the home stretch for this a big celebration coming up, the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame uh, uh, and uh, event, the 29th annual connecticut women's hall of fame ceremony and celebration we've got their uh leader sarah smith lubarski with us on the line she's executive director of the connecticut women's hall of fame sarah thanks for joining us
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me, John. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So I want to say it's probably been uh, four or five years since we had the, uh, the Hall of Fame on the program and we were able to help promote this uh, event and the important work that you're doing. So for those uh, who may have heard of it, and especially those who haven't, uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about the role that this organization plays in inspiring uh, women and others throughout the state of Connecticut. Sure,
2: I'd love to talk about what we do at the hall. You read the mission, but I'll kind of clarify it down a little further. We're basically a women's organization, educational organization, that works to inspire the next generation of female leaders by talking about the past 300 years of women's Connecticut, you know, women from Connecticut, the history about that, both past and current women's contributions to the state of Connecticut. So we do this in many different ways. We have adult talks, which are called Talks on the Road, that um, you can pick out a talk, and we'll come and speak to your group, either on Zoom or in person. But most importantly, we're in the classrooms. We have a program called the See It, Be It program, which we do in New Haven and Hartford um, on a monthly basis. We go in and talk to kids about women's history. We do about a 45-minute segment there and we talk to both boys and girls because we think that boys need to know the uh, the contributions that women have made to our world as well. And we are 51% of the population. So, but we are not 51% of what's in the books and um, everything else in the world. So it's our job to kind of um, make, have people see what it is that women have accomplished. And, um, We also, uh, you know, we call it the see it be it because you have to see it to be it. Mm. But then we also have programs just for girls around STEM and around finance because we know that this is a weak spot uh, for uh, many women and girls. And so we like to do all day workshops um, around those topics as well. So we may have this induction ceremony every year, but all the other days of the year, we're out doing our educational programs around the state of Connecticut.
0: Mm.
2: We're doing a lot of them by Zoom because that's what people prefer, but we also go in person.
0: Well, when you talk about STEM and um, and finance and financial literacy as its base foundation. Uh, These are such uh, critical areas and we've had a number of guests on the program over the past few years um, that are working so hard to, um, not just uh, expose what these fields can be but what they can be for young women uh, mm-hmm. who are interested in uh, in developing really uh, kind of cutting edge careers and certainly uh, Connecticut has a wealth of them we hear uh, from uh, you know everybody from uh, like the Department of Labor to the Manufacturers Associations how right now uh, and almost daily there's four to five thousand open jobs and so many of them depend on individuals trained in these fields you guys uh, seem to be in the right place at the right time with this programming
2: yeah yeah I mean it is so important and the last stat I saw I think for stem there was only like it was either 21 or 24 percent of people that are involved in stem are women and if there's anything that we've all learned over the past several years it's really really important to have everyone around the table so this is um, our mission is to try to inspire them to think yes I can do this too because I see these women and they did it they might have done it a hundred years ago and we've come a long way a hundred years ago but we still have a long way to go Mm -hmm. so it's very very important to leave little a little uh, crumb trail for um, young girls and women To see the other people that have tried to do these things and what they've had to do to succeed to do them.
0: Well, uh, well, Sarah, before we go into the break, there's something else uh, that's happening this year that uh, has been in the headlines and has been talked about quite a lot. And I know it's something that uh, the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame is is, uh, reinforcing, and that is the 50th anniversary of Title IX and how it relates to the achievements of the women who we're going to be talking about in the second half of the program uh, at this upcoming uh, 29th annual Connecticut Women's. Hall of Fame ceremony and celebration, Um, what do we need to know about Title IX at 50?
2: I think we need to know about Title IX to know that we've come a long way and it opened a lot of doors for women, but that we are not even close to being in the end of Title IX. We need to keep pushing So many of these women benefited from Title IX, but as we all know, women's sports are still not the ones on the TV stations we see in the airport and and every other place. We know that they're not getting paid as much as men. Yes, we do have some success stories like with the soccer team and things like that, but there's still a lot of pushing that needs to be done Um, You know, women have to go abroad to play their sport to be able to make enough money. We want to keep them all here in the United States. So there's a lot more pushing to go. And um, we will be having um, comments from uh, Donna Lopiano, who was huge in Title IX in the state of Connecticut and and really across the world, um, about how important it is that – this keeps being moved forward. So we thought this would be the perfect year to have sports and to highlight sports and to help celebrate title IX as well.
0: Now for, uh, for, uh, individuals and in communities across Connecticut who may uh, see a, uh, an injustice or a lack of parity uh, in a situation in, in their child's school or in their community or in some sort of, um, the applicable program. Can they come to the Connecticut's Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame for resources uh, to be able to maybe um, uh, start a conversation with the decision makers about uh, what they perceive as a disparity uh, in uh, accessibility to programming?
2: Well, I mean, we don't have all the resources here because we're busy educating um, in, in our own way, but we could certainly connect people that could help them. I mean, I think if they see a disparity, they need to go to the leader of their school or their, um, you know, whatever institution they're at mm-hmm. and, you know, raise holy hell about it. That's what I think needs to be done. And I'm sure that there are other people. Uh, that they could get in touch with at the state level as well. Um, but, you know, we could certainly um, connect them uh, with people if if push came to shove. But I think it really starts at the bottom, and you need to go up to the very top and make the people who they're playing for or who their children are playing for aware of the disparities, because nothing's going to be done unless the people up at the top are are... Are busy trying to make this happen for everybody.
0: Very good. Well, I thank you. Uh, Sarah smith Lebarsky is the executive director of the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame. Their big event is coming up on October 20th, and we'll be back right after this short break to talk more about it, invite you to it, tell you how to get involved and why the women who are being honored this year at this 29th annual event are so important. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, do you volunteer for or receive services from any of the hundreds of nonprofit agencies, community groups, and grassroots organizations in our region? Or maybe you're just looking for ways to help. If your favorite nonprofit is hosting a fundraiser or community building activity, or you'd like to find a nonprofit to support in your neighborhood, just go to our radio station website, hit the events tab, and find one, or discover some of the many causes supported by Connoisseur Media. I'm John Voquette, your Public Affairs Director here at Connoisseur Media, and we'll be back to the award winning For the People right after this news. Hey, are you having unusual pains or maybe detecting something like a mass or a bump that shouldn't be there? Well, it's possible you might have a hernia. Hernias are a common medical condition affecting men, women, and children. And Bridgeport Hospital is the location for free hernia screenings. It's coming up on Saturday, October 22nd from 9 to noon. The screenings are going to be conducted in the East Ambulatory Surgery Center and registration is recommended. You can search hernia at ynhhs.org slash events or make an appointment by calling toll free 888-357-2396 and walk-ins are walking. Well, thanks for uh, staying with us. Sarah smith Lubarsky is here. She's executive director of the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame. And as we had been teasing you about on October 20th, four exceptional women are going to be honored at the 29th annual Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame ceremony and celebration at the Connecticut Convention Center. This year's program, Women in Sports, is going to honor Susie Whaley, Jennifer Rosati, Luck. Sherpa and Coralie Bentley Radcliffe posthumously for not only their personal success in their sports, but recognizing the impact that they've had in the industry and as role models for women of all ages. Um, so, Sarah, uh, let's quickly talk about how of all of the women these four were selected.
2: Well, I mean, if, if, if anybody wants to really read a lot more about them, they can always go on to our website at Connecticut at CWHF.org and read more about them because I could sit here and talk about them for the next, you know, two days. But um, anybody, I, I just want to tell you that anybody can nominate somebody for induction with the hall. We have a place on our website that people can do that. We have a committee that gets together, we were doing this a year ago, getting together, gathering all the names. We have a committee that um, knows sports, that knows people, and we are looking for people every year that have, um, you'll very rarely see anybody super young at the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame because the most important thing is that they have a very, very wide breadth of Time that they have been in their their well this year it's around sports we do all kinds of different women we do politics we do the arts we do everything this year we happen to be doing sports so for example Jen Rosati I mean she hmm. she won multiple gold medals as assistant coach for the Olympics she was national coach of the year in you know 2011 she started out, she was the starting point guard for UConn's first national championship season. So you get the, the gist here. I mean, this has been going on and on and on. And she's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And now she is the president of the WNBA's Connecticut Sun. The same could be said with LACPA. I mean, who summits Mount Everest 10 times? If that's not an inspiration, I don't know what is. And we wanted to have this year, you know, all kinds of different uh, sports so that we could inspire as many people as possible. And then there's Susie Whaley. She was the first person, the first woman ever to serve as the officer of PGA of America. I mean, this is huge. Yes. Um, and she's the PGA honorary president and a PGA master. Lee, I mean, she was she was forming the first all black female baseball and basketball teams back in the 40s. I mean, can you imagine mm. the, the um, you know, what she encountered as she was doing this? So, you know, we just feel, I um, mean, she excelled at track and field at Florida a and University. So they don't necessarily have to, our inductees don't necessarily have to be born in Connecticut, but they have to have been living in Connecticut for a very, very long time and contributed a lot to the state of Connecticut. So our committee, you know, got a very long list of names, but, you know, after a while, the same people kind of, you know, how the cream rides, rises sure, to sure. the top. Mm-hmm. And this is how they're, um, they are chosen. And then our list is taken to the, the board of the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame, and they vote on them. And then I I start getting in touch with them for the induction. But we also have, if I can cruise into our spotlight recipients and everybody again can go onto our website Mm -hmm. to see all of our spotlight recipients because there are people on there uh, that are in the here and now, still working in sports. Some of them, you know, had their sports achievements a long time ago, but we have 17 spotlight recipients that will be going down the Walk of Fame uh, to and to celebrate them and and their accomplishments as well, and on top of that, um, we will be our founding president's award will be going to Connecticut Special Olympics. So Gina Clonan, who founded the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame almost 30 years ago, um, was uh, you know has this wants to be able to shine a light on another nonprofit that does the type of work that we're highlighting in a certain year. And we thought the Connecticut Special Olympics would just be the perfect opportunity to highlight them as well.
0: Well, we hope if uh, it is not nearly sold out already that uh, your voice and promotion of this October 20th a 29th annual Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame ceremony and celebration will uh, fill those last few seats. And I know that uh, you welcome everyone to this celebration because, as you pointed out early uh, in the program, um, w- without uh, uh, men uh, lending their effort to the mission, uh, it, 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 it just makes it all, all the more uh, more challenging to achieve.
2: Absolutely no, we welcome everybody, and we would love for you to come. We do have some seats left, and uh, please go to our website. It's CWHF. That stands for Connecticut Women Hall Fame. dot org. And look under events and it's the 2022 induction ceremony and you can buy your tickets there
0: and before we let you go uh, just remind people how they can actually uh, become bigger assets and allies to the Hall of Fame uh, by uh, joining and supporting you outside this event
2: oh yeah I mean that's wonderful I mean of course every nonprofit needs people who can contribute um, their Their treasure, no matter what level it is at. Um, we don't get any state funding. We're mostly driven every year by the induction ceremony, grants, and individual people. So no amount is too small. You can donate on our website any anytime you want to. But we also look for volunteers, people who want to be like our ambassadors to let people know we have Um, A very small staff, there's about uh, five of us, and we're small but mighty, but we need all the help that we can get. So please, once again, you can always go to info at Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame. And let us know that you're interested in helping out and we would love to speak with you.
0: So come out on October 20th and celebrate some uh, great Connecticut women in sports leadership and uh, many other women who are playing important roles in sports and elsewhere here in Connecticut and consider being part of the Connecticut women's hall of fame. CWHF.org is their website and their executive director, Sarah Smith Lubarsky has been our midpoint guest today. Thank you, Sarah for your time and uh, we'll hopefully see you at the, uh, we'll hopefully. So pleased to be uh, wrapping up another award-winning for the people meeting yet another organization that is working to help support and elevate young people to be tomorrow's leaders uh, right here in the Greater New Haven community. I've got uh, Patricia Melton, who is president, and George Elise Casanova, program manager for New Haven Promise. This nonprofit builds a culture in the public schools in this community which students aspire to attend and graduate from college they provide financial incentives and support for those students and they facilitate the return to live work and serve in the Greater New Haven community uh, so ladies thank you so much for joining me today and uh, it, what's interesting is that while a number of your initiatives really target New Haven and the Greater New Haven area um, it's also important to talk about how you are helping to share resources with anybody throughout the state of Connecticut. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well in just a few minutes. But uh, uh, Patricia, uh, George Elise, uh, flip the coin and and tell me who's going to tell us more about New Haven Promise. That'll be Patricia. (laughs) Patricia, you're on. Uh, Tell us a little bit more. Uh, You guys have been around for a while.
3: Yes. Uh, New Haven Promise was started in uh, 2010 as an uh, economic development intervention. It was started by our community leaders at that time, the president of Yale University, the mayor of the city at that time, and the superintendent and the community foundation. We're all thinking about how New Haven's workforce in particular and economy was changing. And so if, for folks who are familiar with New Haven, back, you know, 30 years or so, the number one employer was Winchester Gun Factory. I hate mm-hmm. to say it, but we were a producer of guns. And now we are a city of knowledge producers. We Our number one employer is Yale. Our number two employer is Yale New Haven Hospital. So we're kind of an Eds, Mids, critical thinking yeah. uh, type of city. And that just was going to require a different type of uh, young person to be able to take those jobs. And so therein is where New Haven Promise comes in. Uh, We do fund scholarships. We make college affordable for our public school students to come out and be able not to worry about going to college and being saddled with debt, uh, we make sure that uh, students can focus on and families can focus on preparing their students in combination with the school district and other nonprofits and others very invested in our city. And then we follow students, uh, not only dispersing much-needed tuition dollars, but we then have a wraparound program that focuses on helping our students to know what the jobs are that are available. We have a very robust paid internship program uh, uh, right before the pandemic. We probably placed two hundred students. Uh, we were approaching two hundred students in paid internship programs, and many of these students go on to land entry level jobs uh here in the city so um you know it's it's been a wonderful sort of journey thus far. We've dispersed about twenty five million directly in scholarship funds. Many of our students are graduating with little to no debt, Mm. and they want to live here in this fabulous city that is thriving uh, to, you know, move into, you know, really sought-after entry-level jobs, and they're prepared to do that with their uh,
0: newly minted degrees. Yeah, well, we can't undersell the challenge it must have, must be to take more than a century of workforce development that um, you know, kind of sadly just relegated uh, job opportunities for the demographics that you serve to being a kind of manufacturing workforce um, uh, you know, economy members. And uh, I imagine another one of the challenges that you have is to not just inspire, but maybe strip away some of the, the generations old stigmas that people have uh, and, and helping to build the trust back again so that these young people coming into the school systems in, in pre-K kindergarten, first and second grade they they have their eyes on that prize of education and uh you know productive workforce contribution i'm I'm not short selling uh the manufacturing workforce of the 21st century which new haven is also doing a fantastic job in developing but that's not all of it right
3: no no it's not there's you know the population in this city uh New Haven is growing not not huge exponentially but we are the one of the economic drivers in the state we have the largest school district larger than Bridgeport larger than Hartford because of our intervention with New Haven Promise and our working very closely with the school district families and other nonprofits we were when um when this program was launched, we were number three in the state, and and there was sort of a, a out migration of middle class families, families who could move uh, for other better opportunities. And I think we've been able to turn that around with everyone leaning in, and promise is very much part of that. About sixty percent of the workforce will be going into white collar jobs. Sixty sixty five percent, the remainder is more sort of manufacturing, middle. Uh you know sort of middle jobs that require maybe a certification a year's worth of of you know either going into the construction trades or whatnot, and again we're prepared up and down that continuum to be able prepared and thriving uh here in terms of where we are as a city and even as a state so I hear people say all the time, you know all of our all all of our students are leaving the state we just <laughs> We do not see that. Uh, we did a survey of our scholars a representative sample, about 250 of them, and about 85% are here. They want to be here, they want to buy homes, they want to launch their careers, they want to socialize down, uh, uh, you know, on Chapel Street and, uh, you know, in the restaurant section of the city. Mm. It's very vibrant. And again, much of that has to do with the fact that we've invested in our young people Who are ready to take their place in our city that's thriving right now? Yeah,
0: and and maybe, uh, you know, early Sunday morning when this program is playing live on the radio, uh, or when people are listening to the podcast in their car while they're cooking dinner in their kitchen or whatever, uh, maybe the point was lost but it certainly uh, perked up my ears to hear you say how many of the graduates that have been supported by New Haven Promise are moving into the next chapter of their lives with little or no education debt that is so important because you know sadly part of the stigma about engaging in higher education and and self improvement is the fear of indebtedness and the cost that that individual might be bearing for years, if not decades, after they emerge, which certainly could also cause uh, a lot of uh, concern or trepidation among these people uh, who would uh, be uh, concerned that they might want to start and they're all fired up and excited, but maybe they won't be able to pay to finish, right? Right.
3: Yes, I mean I I look at Horelise who is here. She is a promise scholar, and I'll ask her to speak to that. I mean, she's here. She's um uh, you know her son is a a uh, uh, a pledge in our system. She's hoping for her son to become a promise scholar in several years. He's only seven now, <laughs> but uh, she's working with him. And but she herself has decided to. You know, live, work, and play here, and she can. I think she's just a great representation of her peers. So I will ask her to sort of speak to, uh, you know, what's going on and and how does you know, where you're at and where your peers are at. Yeah, I'm and pretty, uh, oh, and
0: Georgealise, ju- uh, let me just say, uh, I, I use the term, uh, these people a few mm-hmm. moments ago and I want to apologize for that and and acknowledge that because I'm I'm not talking about any specific group or race of people I'm talking about these people who are engaging with new haven promise and and everybody who has a dream of getting a better education and being a community leader so i just want to make sure that none of that especially you two and 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 none of the listeners were were, heard that and 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 took it in, in the wrong way
4: of course thank you so much and i i think one of the biggest things is um We always used to ask, what does it take um, for our students to thrive? And it's really a city supporting them. So it takes businesses, employers, um, those in the housing sector, those in education. It is really an entire city that needs to support um, the students to go to college, through college, and then um, be ready to embrace them with open arms. It's it's funny because last week we hosted – um, our first ever home buyer seminar, um, and that's part of our survey. We realized that um, nearly 50% of those students um, want to buy homes. They're, they're interested in figuring out what the next step is after college and after they've gotten that wonderful career um, kicked off and they've launched, um, what comes next. And then the other great thing is that Patricia mentioned student debt. Even for those who take do take out loans like myself, um, I'm nearing I graduated in 2017 and I'm going to be paying off and all of my loans by the end of this year um, that I took for undergrad and that for me is a huge accomplishment I know there are many many folks paying them for years and decades yes. um, and I'm super happy that I can go into my next phase mm. um, debt-free and I hope to buy a house in the city of New Haven um, within the next two years um and, and that's, you know, part of just that opportunity that Promise gave me. Yeah. Um and I worked here as well during undergrad. I was able to work with my peers to um, help other students see the full cycle and the support that Promise has to offer. Um and then eventually be able to at one point go to Albertus and ask them, Can you put additional funds on the table for our promise scholars? Mm-hmm. So we have a and wonderful they and they did and we have a wonderful partnership. With Alberta, will they they um, ensure students have an additional grant on top of their promised scholarship? to make it as affordable as
0: possible. Well, you are the face and the soul of New Haven Promise. So uh, uh, we hope everybody is listening to this message uh, today. Uh, folks, if you want to learn more about this organization or find out about how they might be able to help a young person you know, uh, you can visit them online at newhavenpromise.org org uh and speaking of helping anyone who's listening no matter where you are in Connecticut uh they do have a program that we want to talk about the FAFSA Connecticut readiness uh, initiative. So uh, before we wrap up the program this morning, uh, let's uh, focus on that and how it is available for everyone in terms of helping to uh, support them to get started in this new and amazing journey that they uh, that education can offer.
4: Of course, of course. And um, I'm super, super happy to talk about FAFSA Connecticut Um, It's an an initiative that I've been directing for quite some time, um, and we do have the support of the Connecticut State Department of Education, um, the Connecticut College Bound Group, and CAPFA, which is the Association of Professionals um, and Financial Aid Administrators, um, to host free virtual and in-person FAFSA workshops for graduating seniors and their families, Um, As you know, there's so much money tied to the FAFSA um, and FAFSA Connecticut. Um, The FAFSA is a free application for federal student aid, and there are billions, more than $120 billion in federal grants, loans, work-study funds um, that help more than 13 million students pay for college. And so we're assisting students in making sure that they're completing that application without any errors um, and accessing all of the financial support that is available to them to fund their post-secondary education, regardless of where they're going
0: very good. So for people uh, who may want to uh, take advantage of that support, they can go to F-A-F-S-A-C-T dot org uh, and uh, learn more about it. Uh, In the uh, last few minutes that we have with both of you, um, what else is important for our listeners, especially those in the greater New Haven area, uh, to know about New Haven Promise? Uh, I imagine there are many ways, either through volunteerism uh, or uh, financial underwriting, that they can support this effort to make it more available to even more young people?
3: I would say, uh, you know, they can contact us directly, you know, once again, through, you know, uh, going to our website. Obviously, we do need volunteers, and there are different ways that folks can help with volunteering. One of the requirements that students must have is they must complete 40 hours of community service. So we expect them to get out and contribute to their communities through nonprofits. So if you're in a nonprofit and you have volunteer hours or opportunities for our students, that would be immensely helpful. If you would like to volunteer with us, we have everything from mentoring to, you know, mentoring a student along, helping them with their financial. Uh, aid, Or, you know, in this case, just, you know, letting a student shadow you at uh, work or anything like that. Many of our students are first generation to college, so they're just learning about all the fabulous opportunities that we have in our city. There are just so many ways depending on who you are. But if you're vested in our young folks, uh, the young uh, folks who are coming through our system, then just reach out and we can find an opportunity for you for sure.
4: Absolutely. And if you're a financial aid professional, um, you can definitely volunteer with FAFSA CT to support us during our virtual and in-person financial aid workshops.
0: Patricia Melton is president and or Casanova is their program manager at New Haven promise newhavenpromise.org is their website they are building a culture in the public schools in which students aspire to attend and graduate from college they provide financial incentives and support for those students and facilitate their return to live work and serve in the greater New Haven community thank you both for being part of the show this morning You've been listening to our award-winning public affairs program for the people. The opinions expressed on this broadcast represent those of our guests and hosts. If you have a suggestion for an issue, a guest, or a PSA relevant to the audience and community served by our radio station, you must make a request for consideration in writing to me via email at john.voquette at connoisseurct.com. We do not accept pitches or requests for coverage by phone. Remember, no part of this program may be copied, disseminated, or rebroadcast. Our public file detailing the many critical community and state issues addressed on For the People can be reviewed upon request during normal business hours at 440 Wheeler's Farms Road in Milford or on our station website. Our theme music is by Rick Miller and Scott's with original music by Noel Vallette. I'm Director of Public Affairs, John Voquette. Join us again this time next week for more conversation and information on the award-winning For the People. And don't forget, you can listen to this and other For the People podcasts anytime on iTunes or under the podcast tab on our station's website. Until this time next week, thanks for listening.